streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casaza, joined this morning by Chris Anderson to reach into the mailbag, take some questions, give some answers. Chris, a week ago, we were puzzled by a point spread. My, how things change. West Virginia goes from a six and a half point underdog on the road against a team that they beat uh, pretty handily. To an eight-point favorite at home against a team that they probably should be pretty handily. And I think our mailbag refle- uh, questions reflect that. Are we going to go from having to dedicate an entire segment to 15 questions about Neil Brown getting fired? And should I lead off with a question about, hey, what happens when West Virginia starts 5-1 and one next year? Are we giving Neil Brown an extension? No, oh boy. So that that that's how the uh, mailbag has flipped as well. I love it. Keeps me, keeps me sane, keeps me on my toes, even though it really tries to do the opposite, but that's fine. Um, a lot about the game already talked about, covered. Some of that is actually within the mailbag, but I don't know, as is custom before we get in. Anything strike you since we spoke on Saturday afternoon about the team, the performance, the direction of this season? No, I mean, I, I think most of what we said post game and, and in, subsequent write-ups is is holding true i think again there are concerns and it's one of the ones in here and we'll get to in a second about hey actually the defense wasn't that good no um statistically is that a concern I, i mean i think you know you get the key plays you get the turnovers that makes a difference obviously but you can't you can't remove the turnovers but if you did defense was bad like legitimately bad um so it's something to watch. It's something I I, I realized during the game because I think I even said like in the post game stock up, stock down. Like, hey, this th- those interceptions were thrown right to West Virginia players, and otherwise they had completed every single pass. Um, it's a concern. It it still remains a concern. So yeah. okay, I'm with you on that. I'm I'm intrigued by what UCF did on defense. They really kind of made it difficult for West Virginia to go deep. So they took away the three-pointers and made him throw layups and they just handed it off instead. I wonder if that's something that you can look at again and see other defenses try to do that, maybe. But also, it occurs to me watching this, West Virginia really protected its special teams. Would you agree with that? I didn't realize like how thin they were on 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 their special teams, but looking at some of the groups, there's people out there that aren't out there very often that are now out there and we're becoming more familiar with their names because they have to play. But just where they kicked it, I know they they were kind of, Spooked, let's say, by um, Harvey and um, who was the other running back? I'm trying to think, of Richardson. Richardson. Yeah. So those two guys are are pretty scary, and they were. I think they're both the kick returners. So not not spooked, but let's maybe not roll the dice here. 
but a lot of touchbacks, really strategic kicks. Didn't have to punt a whole lot, but didn't do a whole lot in either return game. And I wonder how much that is just like, you know what? If nothing happens, that's great. Instead of trying to make something happen, like maybe it's just like in such an embryonic stage on their special teams that they're not quite ready to put in returns and blocks and things like that. Let's just try to get the ball on the ground or out of the end zone or something like that. Touchbacks are fine. Fair catches are great either way. And that was clever to me because they've actually kind of weaponized special teams this year and either didn't have the opportunities or the incentive or initiative to do that Saturday. That kind of stood out to me, especially when they had field position so much in their corner without the benefit of special teams. I'm with you. I liked it. I liked what they did on special teams and somebody else brought this up in the mailbag too. It was like, Hey, are they finally just making these, these decisions to get some of the starters out of special teams to kind of save them a few reps, a few snaps. And yeah, it looked like some new guys out there this week. And you pointed it out during the game, like um, Hayes was playing with fire very well um, because he was, he was kicking to the corner and it felt like he was what two yards away from kicking it out of bounds. Every time he just perfect placement on some of those kickoffs and it, it was enough to, keep them off their toes and, and keep special teams from being a major factor or at least negatively against WVU. Yeah, that works. Worked out this time too. Um, let's jump into it. We got a lot to talk about this week with BYU coming to town. We had the news conference today with the head coach, a couple players, the coordinators. We'll learn more about Doug Nestor. Doesn't sound great for him. Might learn more about Lance Dixon. Sounds like it's probably over for him. This kind of goes on and on and on. Uh, a lot of I don't know, drama is a strong enough word or an accurate enough word, but like there's always plot twists with this team. It seems like on the field, off the field, today should be no different. Maybe not as severe, but certainly never boring around here. So let's fill the idle time, though, with some questions and our answers, Chris. All right, let's get started with that defense. Uh, again, there were a couple questions, but I'm going to use the one from Cole1867 because he, he, he brought up the stats with it. And I'm going to assume his stats are correct. They look correct, but uh, I'm reading this straight from his question. Against UCF, we were outgained 463 to 450, gave up 27 first downs, gave up 6.7 yards per play, let them convert 9 of 12 third downs, forced only one punt. It's hard to feel any better about the D after that outing, even though we forced four turnovers. Do you feel any better about that side of the ball? Um, And if, well, we'll get to the second part of that question. First, do you feel any better about that side of the ball after the, you know, previous two weeks also being bad? Not really, but I wouldn't say worse. Like they, they, they got out of it healthy, I guess, you know, so they're not going to become healthier, but you feel a little better that you saw some Raleigh Collins and some Caden Beiser in there. And, um, Beiser, a lot of tackles, I'm not sure he played well, but he played a bunch and he had a lot of tackles. So he was at least active out there. It wasn't a, just like an observer. So they're going to need a Collins and a Beiser and maybe a Tyreek Austin Cave who was actually available and traveled. They're getting more numbers. Does that mean that they get better? We'll see. Um, they did some clever stuff in the back end too. They put Malachi Ruffin at safety. They played Jacoby Spells. Jacoby Spells looked good. Um, that's getting a little bit more interesting now because he's playing as opposed to being interesting because he's not playing. So there's some things there, but like what you just said, Chris, like try to have those numbers and win a game without the turnovers, right? Well, conversely, try turning it over four times and winning a game. It's, it's West Virginia had the, the right end of the coin there, but we, we talked so much about like, transferability sustainability is this like a transferable performance is this a sustainable trait for an offense or a defense and we found out the answer every time the offense wasn't going to sustain the defense couldn't sustain 
there's no way they can keep that up if they continue to give up that yardage and that um that that style of defense and you know some of their tackling looked bad at times and it was better but it still didn't look great but could they do that week in and week out and win these games that they have to and should maybe win at the end probably not right so that doesn't make me feel better did i see anything just that much better on defense probably not i thought it was a pretty simple approach but it's kind of what they've done and, and they, they do get praise for this too because again they, they play hard but they give their guys a chance and you just saw that a bunch. Like they gave guys chances to make plays, and sometimes they missed, but sometimes they didn't. And you know, when they rolled the dice a few times with pressure, they, it, it kind of worked. You know, Ed Vesteren got Plumley's arm, I think, on an interception. Koba hit him, um, hit Plumley on a, on a sack, I guess. And that was a fumble. So they took some chances and made some plays, but they give their guys a chance. But do they have enough guys that can keep going? I don't know. It doesn't make me feel better, but for a change, you don't feel worse about it because you know they didn't get a lot of the trend lines to continue in that downward direction they were going. It got better at the end. You know, they had timely stops, getting a turnover after a turnover, a punt and a turnover down to the start of the fourth quarter. That was important stuff. And, you know, small victories, you really had to be, to be fair in how you judge them. They're not perfect. Far from it. They're not great. Far from it. Are they good? That's the goal probably right now. And that was good enough. Yeah. I was more concerned about the lack of tackling. Again, like a lot of missed tackles right up near the line of scrimmage um, there for the defensive line and those linebackers. It was – we're beyond a trend now. So that was concerning to me. The one – again, the, the numbers are not great. You're not going to win like that unless you get those turnovers. Um, but I noted it after the game. Felt a little better about the secondary, even though, you know, Plumley what started – was it 16 of 19 with the three interceptions, but 16 of 16 to his own players. But even on a lot of those passes and including the touchdowns, West Virginia's players were there. And I know people were going to be listening and be like, yeah, so, so they were around the ball. But it, that That's that's an upgrade from what it was last season. That's an upgrade from what we've seen a couple of times the last couple of weeks is that the players are in the correct positions. Now it's a matter of actually finishing the play and winning those one-on-one battles that you keep hearing coaches talking about. Because I, I think go look at those couple touchdown passes, a couple of those big plays by UCF in the passing game, especially in the first half uh, up until the early third quarter. And West Virginia's players were there. Like Anthony Wilson was there. Malachi Ruffin was there. Beanie Bishop was there. They just couldn't finish the play. They were losing those one-on-one battles. And you don't want to see that, but at least they were there. Put them in position to get those interceptions that they did get and help them make stops later. So that was the positive I took from it. But wouldn't say feel good about it but it was something i noticed that was a little different than before yeah can they use that for momentum purposes and then like okay finally got a reason to walk in the team building and feel proud or not ashamed or something like that that's a new thing and and they're they're running into a miserable offense this week too so they they might get a little bit of pep in their step right in time the second part of that question from cole 1867 was if neil brown does return do you think Ren allows him, interesting phrasing there, to bring back the current staff? Allows. That's an interesting word. I guess Baker being in, yeah. injected in that conversation is too. It's going to be part of the conversation. Like, hey, can you do better than this? This person, this performance, they're going to talk to players for sure. Hey, how do you feel about your coach? You know, that's that's part of the whole thing. And and being on the ground, you see how they respond to players, but you also watch up close and you track everything. Is this group better? Should there be more backups available? Like that's going to be part of it. Um, 
I, I, I don't know if they'll force him or not, but at some point you, you gotta be like this. Is this sustainable? <laughs> like, can I continue to keep my job if I'm always plugging holes on defense here as a staff, but, um, they like the coaches. Like he's, he's been around them for different parts of his life. Never mind it here. And it's partial. That could be difficult for him too, but if they don't get the job done here in the final four games, that might be a lot easier too. But if, if things do peak, that might be easier too. But it does seem it does seem kind of odd to assume that those five defensive coaches will be back too. So um, hard to answer. I don't think Baker would force it. I'm sure that he would want to have an explanation about why he wants to keep somebody, and he may he may be okay with that. He may put his foot down. Don't yet know that about him, but that's not going to be something that's going to be left, you know, just assumed. Or you come to a meeting one day and say, hey, did you figure that thing out about the defense? Yeah, I'm bringing everybody back. It doesn't work like that. It's going to be part of the conversation for sure, if Brown is indeed the person who's allowed to come back next year. Yeah, I think, you know, after last season's debacle, the the argument was, and I was on board with it. I think I we even said it, or I said it on this podcast. I don't want to put words in your mouth, too, uh, if you didn't say it, um, that the defense was great for the first three years. From from very good to great or good to gr- very good to great, and it's not like the coaching staff suddenly forgot how to coach. I remember we said that on the pod, and then like a month later, that was the rallying cry at the press conference that the defensive coaches didn't suddenly forget how to coach defense. Um, I don't. That that's you can use that one time, but if your defense is bad two years in a row then it raises the questions of, are you sure? Um, Cause I, I was, I was in that boat, but now we are coming up on two full years of the defense struggling. Um, it has looked better. There are certain players who have looked better. There are certain positions that have looked better, but I think if, if it finishes out the way it's currently going, you know, with what we've seen the last three weeks, say the, the final four weeks of the season are similar to the three weeks since the bye, since the open week, that's not good. And I think, yeah, there's going to be some difficult discussions there. Again, I don't, I don't know how they phrase it with the allowing Ren Baker, allowing Neil Brown to allow those guys to stay around. It's tough. Yeah. Something that's, I think is worth considering here too. And, and, and use this however you want, but were they going to get all the way through with their defense before losing guys like Cobb and Lathan? I think those are the big losses on defense. So was that going to be sustainable? Like, was Lathan going to be able to play, you know, however many snaps for 12 games and be as good, as fast, as impactful as he was? Was Cobb going to make a huge difference in the back end? I don't know about that. I have a hard time thinking that was the case. Like, they played great early on. But, man, have you seen some of those teams and what they're incapable of on offense, especially Pitt? Um, Texas Tech doesn't look great. TCs look better, but was that going to keep going through the rest of the Big Twelve through all these games that have been physical, playing all those snaps? I don't think it's. I don't think that they necessarily get a break just because those guys got hurt. I don't think you judge them more kindly or more understandably because they got hurt because like they were going to be down low anyways, and they were going to have to use backups anyways eventually. Just happened in a different fashion and sooner than they expect, and they've had to deal with it longer, but they still have to deal with it. I think it's still part of the evaluation too. 
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Next question comes from GA Mountaineer 15. He asked about, you know, who's going to rise up and have the best rest of the year. I think we covered that with our one of our three minute videos last week. But another part of his question was, who has surprised you both the most since the start of the season? I thought this was I'm going to take a, a positive approach to this. Let's try to keep it positive instead of somebody who has negatively surprised us. Mike, who who has surprised you the most in a positive manner? On what side? You pick it. I'll let you pick whichever any player you want on this team. Okay. Small thing, recency bias, sure, but Nick Malone's been a pretty I don't even want to say surprising, but like because I don't we didn't have a read on him, but he's been a valuable player. And it's surprising to have that. I know the offensive line is good, but that's not a guy we've talked about. I think a lot of people talk about the starters and then some of the recruits that they brought in develop slowly but surely over time on the offensive line. And then we've made a lot out of the tight end play, but mostly on Cole Taylor and Traylon Davis and what's Will Dixon and and where's Victor Wickstrom going to be. And yet the kind of like number two or two B tight end is Nick Malone. Like it's just a nice utility player to have and to have that and to use it and for it to be effective and really part of what they've done offensively. That's a surprise because it's a good idea. It's a good strategy and it's worked. And like, that's one of those guys where just, and you, if you think of it in the frame of like roster construction, 85 scholarship, 70 players, you get one guy who can do a couple of things. That's really valuable. So to have that and to use that for that to be functional is fun for me. Um, I'll give you the floor for this part here. Cause I'm not, I might take a second on another one here. All right. One good call on Nick Malone. He was somebody that I thought about in, for those wondering, like how, how often is he playing? How much is he playing? He's obviously picked it up the last couple of weeks with with more playing time, but his 239 snaps kind of puts him in that same range of like your 10th or 11th guy on this team because you get through like nine guys who played the most, and then 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, and 15 are all between 220, 260 snaps. And that's, you know, Nick Malone, Traylon Ray, Traylon Davis, Preston Fox. Jaquay Hubbard, Hudson Clement. So he he's heavily involved in this offense, I would say, at this point, Nick Malone, as far as what's happening so far this season. So I do like that pick. Um, I would say my biggest surprise, I, I'm, I'm having a difficult time pinning it down to a single player, but I, I kind of, like, I, I really want to, you know, pop out and say the defensive line kind of as a whole, again, for anybody that's followed my position group power rankings, you saw me drop them 
um, in the preseason, but mostly off of comments that AJ Jackson had made about, you know, Hey, this is, we don't have, I can't remember exactly how I phrased it, but essentially it was like, Hey, we don't have this uh, havoc creator stud defensive lineman. We don't have that. We, we kind of are just pretty good. And I was like, Oh, that's not, that's not good. You, you want a havoc creator on the defensive line. Well, I'm not sure they entirely have that. They have several players who can create havoc and it's held up. And even with injuries or anything that might be happening on that defensive line, they're just solid. And and I had a hard time picking one, but I was surprised because I was concerned that that group was going to have a very tough time this season. And aside from some missed tackles um, this past game, I think they have been. All right. My other one here is that I'm just surprised that they didn't do better in the portal for receiver because quantity they're bound to hit, and I don't. I don't know who's like Pope traveled and didn't play. Noah Massey was probably always a flyer. Carter is, um, not their best receiver. I don't know. Like, and he's supposed to be, but like the fact that we're asking a question about that, especially relative to his drops and you know, that that really bizarre punt return play. I I still watch it again. I don't know what happened. Like, I have to sit down and break that down and figure out why he dropped the pass, ran off the field and then ran on the field to join 11 teammates who were in punt formation when he's never covered a punt before. Something had to go wrong there. Maybe he thought they were going for it, but unless Oliver Straw is the quarterback, <laughs> he's got to know better than that. Maybe they were in a fake and somebody else made a mistake. I don't know. That was just a strange thing. But he was brought in to be like the guy, the number one, the X, I guess, or the Z. And kind of strange that after so many years in college, he moves to this this like slot role, and he was good. Don't get me wrong; he caught a touchdown pass two games ago, cool. But it's been up and down for him too. And there's some personal stuff there too with his grandmother passing away during the season that that may have affected him too. But to get nothing out of Poke and Massey, and then Horton's been better lately, and and started last game in fact. But he started because Hudson Clements a starter because Bram and um. Aaron are no longer on the team. And so like, it's kind of like by default, he's the fourth guy maybe in line there, but he's been better and, and he's a little bit more versatile than running a straight line. But you've kind of gotten the production of maybe one big time receiver, I would say out of four and two guys who aren't even playing. I don't know what the deal is with Pokemon Massey. Maybe they're self redshirting or maybe they're redshirting period. They both have the opportunity to do so, but no impact from them. And that's not why you go get transfers. And then it's always hard, I think. But when you come in to be a guy, Carter, I don't know. Would you say he's delivered to the the expectations, Chris? I don't know. And then Horton a little bit behind the ball because he was hurt early, and then he caught that bullet from Green, which apparently did some damage to his finger in the Houston game. TCU, Houston. Um, maybe maybe he gets there. Maybe he doesn't. But that just surprised me because I thought that more than one guy would click, and I'm not even sure one has really clicked consistently yet. Yeah, Carter's been kind of up and down. He, he his stats have improved the past couple of games, but he's also had some key drops um you mentioned one i think he had two third drops on third down where he was wide open and just dropped the ball twice on third down in the last game and i think he had one of those the game before that too so inconsistent to decent at best uh for him but that does lead us to the next question from lynn kofta is this brown's best transfer class he points out that of the 14 transfers, 10 are regular contributors. Uh, seems like he's including Horton in there. And then points out that the two DBs, I'm assuming that would be Miller and Cobb, would be 
if not for being hurt. And then there's the two wide receivers that you just mentioned that look like possible misses, which would be Polk and Massey. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, let me zag. I think it is their best transfer class. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, um, because I just they where would they be, you know, without Beanie Bishop? That's that might be enough right there, right? Um, I mean, that that's looking like an all Big Twelve cornerback for a guy who couldn't play at Minnesota. So currently leads the nation in passes defended. Yeah. Also, six and in interceptions dropped. So kind of going around, I guess. But I only I only know that and say that because I looked it up. And yeah, he's he's dropped two, but so is Lee Kobo. And two isn't a huge number when you play like Bishop does, because I think he's going to be around the ball a lot too. And also, he plays in a secondary that is going to be around the ball a lot too. So that's been good. I really like their defensive line additions too. Like not stars, but for what they wanted to do. Durajai, um, Hawkins played a lot and played really well Saturday. Um, Moba, those have been good, good parts for the defensive line. And, and Durajai's got a chance to be a pretty good player for the next couple of years. He can't go anywhere. And I mean, unless he wants to quit football or sit out a year. So West Virginia gets him after a redshirt freshman year, already uses one transfer, can't go anywhere again. Not the NFL, not the uh, transfer portal until he graduates or has no more eligibility left where he can go to the NFL, which is not a worry. Um, so that's a great acquisition for them. It's like a modern day transfer. Uh, I, I just like what they did. Their offense, eh, we'll see. I don't know. Two out of four receiver, and maybe it's one out of four, you know, two halves or whatever. That's not great, but they they just need receivers. I'd feel better about it, but just what they did on defense, where they'd be without those parts on the defensive line, that cornerback, that's enough to me. And the Cobb, I don't know. The Cobb didn't look great earlier on, but they liked him a lot in the spring. Who knows where he would be after, you know, eight games or a full season. Don't know, but he was on the field playing and they liked him. Didn't get to see him all the way through his development. You have a chance in the future, but uh, also Montre Miller too hurts out the year. That hurts. Like, do you grade the transfer portal class because guys couldn't stay healthy? That seems hard. Football is a tough sport, you know. You guys get hurt and unfortunately get lost for the season. But Miller and, and Cobb maybe helped the secondary. I'm not going to include in my evaluation. I just think because of who they have on the defensive side, that's been a big boost and probably their best work so far. But also, pretty easy comparison too. Yeah, I think this is definitively the best, and it shouldn't be surprising. I was trying to find a story I wrote about how this was different, this transfer class was different, because if you went and you looked at last year's class, everyone that was on that list was like, hey, this guy was good two years ago at an FCS program, but was hurt, but now he's going to be great. Like, are you sure? Uh, this guy was, you know... um, you know, uh, this guy was an All-American in an FCS school. Like, okay, <clears throat> that's hitting sometimes. Hey, this guy was a backup to a backup running back somewhere else. This guy was all-conference at an FCS school. It was stuff like that. Like, you're getting guys that are, hey, they were good at FCS or they were third stringers at, like, a group of five and stuff. And, and it's different with 2023. Like, you're getting a guy from full-time starter at NC State. You're getting backup from Penn State, a backup from Minnesota. You're getting guys who were in the rotation at Power 5 programs that are coming over to play at West Virginia, which was not something that was part of the previous classes. Um, looking at it now, what was it? Bradley and Massey were the only FCS guys in this 14-man class. And the previous class, it was like half of it was, was FCS guys. Um, you're asking them to make a leap in skill level competition and started a new school 
And that's asking a lot. And so I think getting these guys who were already power five, I mean, here, here are the power five guys, George Aye, Bishop, Mulba, Carter, Taylor. Like, have those been the five best transfers? Like the, yeah, it makes there. sense. <laughs> like you get the guys that played at power five, you get power five transfers to play at your power five schools. They seem to be doing just fine. So this new or, you know, just aiming higher, I think, was part of it uh, for for talent at this level. And it's resulted uh, in, in a much better class uh, transfer class that's had a, a very big impact on this team. Yep. Points. Um, let's see here from Rebels 52. We're gonna, he's asking us to look into the future. Oh, boy. What are the biggest holes? Now, nothing to do with coaching staffs, I promise you, or realignment or anything else you love. What are the biggest holes this football team is going to need to fill next season? Like their roster? Yeah. You seen the ages of the roster? They got some like some of their keys are old. Like they're not gonna be back. Um yeah. that's that's concerning. Like they're gonna have to and we're talking about depth, which means you don't have automatic answers. So like you know, you, you've taken care of something. Like, Bradley should be a sufficient replacement for Bartlett. Bartlett's quietly had a, a pretty nice season here, I think. Probably his best one. Um, corner, you lose Bishop, but you might have a guy in, in, like, spells who works in there, but you don't know about that. Like, there's Ruffin's a valuable player now that you're going to lose. You're losing two corners and TBD on Andrew Wilson-Lamp. Uh, maybe Montre Miller's there for you. He can come back and do that. Um, you know, it's... It's tough, man. Like, I mean, I just think that if you look at the holes they're going to have in their roster, like a lot of their – look at their offensive line. Here's the thing, Chris. I'm pretty sure four of the five can come back. Nestor can't. Or they could all be gone because, like, Milam could go pro. Um, Remotch will be a redshirt sophomore. I don't think he's going pro, but, like, he's draft eligible, right? But, like, left tackle, left guard, center, right guard could all be back um, if you assume Hubbard. I don't think Yates – actually, Yates is another year, too. Um, yeah, as I say, I'm looking at the scholarship tracker. You got Frazier, Milam, Yates, Hubbard, Malone, Remuch, all technically capable of coming back next. But could all leave too. Yes, <laughs> which is kind of funny, right? Um, and then but that's why I think this exercise is crazy right now because we've. To, I mean, at at this point last season, were we expecting half the transfers that ended up leaving WVU? Like, I don't think we did. I mean, yeah. we the numbers wise, you're like, yeah, this is going to happen. You just don't know who. And then the guys actually left that did leave. Yeah. So, and then there's going to be some transfer portal stuff. Like, we're just naive to think the running back room is going to look the same. But just look what happened last year. It was like, oh man, Tony Mathis and CJ Donaldson and Justin Johnson. No, Tony Mathis left. Uh, people were biting their fingernails about Justin Johnson leaving in the middle of the season. So, like, there's going to be somebody from that room that probably leaves. The offensive line is going to probably look different. Um, I don't know if you can keep Green and Marchio. That seems like unlikely to me because Green looks like he's probably taking control of this. What's Nico going to do in the offseason? Like, great teammate. I don't know if I want to continue to be a great teammate. I want to be a great quarterback. And then a lot of their defensive talent is guys who are older and are not going to be out the door. So, like, I think the one thing is not what are the holes. It's just that how do they replace a lot of the their best players, which is the concern for every team. But it's heightened here because, man, you're <laughs> – Let's assume you do bring back Neil Brown because of a great or good 2023, but you lose a ton of experience and talent and production. 
So what do you bring him back? You know, that it's, it really complicates that decision too. So, you know, where are the holes, this and that? Yeah. Could they be like more exciting or splashier on offense? Sure. Could they be more disruptive on defense? Sure. But a lot of that, a lot of that stuff is made easier when you have people who know what they're doing and you know how to use them. And they're going to be waving goodbye to a lot of them, which is a concern. It's it's not a huge number, but it's just a core, like the core, which pretty much is West Virginia's huge number. I understand that, but like, it's not a massive number of like seniors and people who are leaving, but like, it's a lot of their very good players. This is an older team, like an experienced team. That's one reason they're tough and resilient. I think Brown would tell you that, but time is ticking there. Yeah, I think so many of these guys, we're going to get into these, and maybe it's not tough decisions for all of them, but this is about, not the end, I think there's another year or so of it, of the the COVID year, where everybody's got this extra year that maybe wouldn't have otherwise had it. And there are some decisions that will still need to be made by a few guys. But, and again, the transfers, you know, who knows? Like, it could it could get weird. It could get wild. But even not even taking into account for that. Okay, let's assume, I'm just going to assume that whoever comes back is planning to come back and all that, like the good old days when the transfer portal wasn't a thing and one-time transfers wasn't a thing. There are is definitively one spot that would scare the living daylights out of me, and it's why I've I've called into question like this decision to bring in like 15 different high school recruits at this spot. But cornerback, man, that looks... Yeah. Rough, like you've you noted it a few minutes ago, but Ruffin's definitively gone. Bishop's definitively gone. Like they're they have exhausted all of their eligibility. They have none left, no matter what. Miller would need to get a waiver for a medical redshirt if he wanted to to come back for another season. And the only other players in that room right now are Jacoby Spells, Andrew Wilson Lamp, who again question mark, and Jordan Jackson. That's it. Hmm. So, so, like, cornerback is a rough, rough room. I mean, it, it was already it's already tight. That there's a reason that you know Malachi Ruffin's playing 95 percent of the snaps, and uh, Beanie Bishop is literally playing 100 percent of the snaps. But then you lose those two guys, and, and things are getting tight there for sure. Uh, they recruit a ton of corners, that you said, right? Yeah, bunch of bunch of high schoolers. That's a but. Yay! Yeah, I was gonna say, are you really gonna count on some high schoolers to come right in and play cornerback next year? They're gonna end up with the same same issue you already had. Offensive staff has been reluctant to play true freshman in the back end. Yes. Next question. We got time for one more. We got four minutes. Uh, real quick on this one because I I saw the Nick Saban comments the other day. Odds there are communications over signals for quarterback and defense in college football next season. You know, the, the little green dot on the quarterback's head, the only person that can get calls in from the offensive coordinator or play caller. Power you think five. that's coming? Power five. I bet you. I, Power I, I five only? I mean, well, because you're going to have to pay for it, and you're going to have to be right. in a situation where if you're the home team, you have to make sure that the visiting team has that capability. So there are G5. Like, Liberty could do it, but the rest of the teams in their conference probably couldn't. So you're not going to let Liberty have that advantage. That's just an example from the group of five level. There are other ones you could use, but in the power five, I bet you that's a, I bet you it could be a mandate. I don't, I don't think anybody's against it. Um, except the, this is going to be really, um, 
you know, it's it's a hard thing for the job market because what are you going to do with those four guys who hold the towels behind the coordinators? You mean we're going to have to get rid of the pink and and light blue WVU polos? Yeah, Is that what's going to happen. What about the guy who cuts the eye the eye holes in the sheet so they can actually look out the sheet and stare into nothing? I guess watch the game. Like I'm going to have to cut somebody in the graphics department that makes the uh, plastic uh, board with all the memes on it. So. Yeah, and like the security guard who comes up to me and says, um, listen, I've been here for seven years and I've never seen you before. And I go, I've been here for 19 years and I don't know who you are. And they ask me to leave the stands at a football practice because they don't know who I am because they think I'm taking signs from the team that I cover, selling them on the black market. I mean, what do you do about that guy? I mean, it's tough, man. It's tough out there. I mean, these are decisions that have a lot of repercussions. Might be the same guy who came up to me when I was showing up for a recruiting camp and the team was just doing a casual walkthrough with no football, no nothing on the football field and asked me to leave the stadium because I had my camera around my neck because the recruiting camp was starting in 30 minutes. Uh, That's the question. I think it should happen. This is probably overdue. We try to make NFL like college and college at the NFL. Why not? This just makes the game easier. It takes away a lot of the, the silliness where, um, think of how many how fewer timeouts will get burned or something like that when a guy doesn't get a sign or give something up. And then again, it, it could be equally done in the power five. It'd be hard in the group of five, but also the power five does its own thing. So it certainly could be put in by conferences of the power five level, mandated. Um, it could just be a power five wide thing too. Wrap it up here, Chris. Um, if you didn't hear your question from Chris or answer from us, might catch it in the written format. Chris comes out that later in the week. We'll have full coverage of today's news conference, maybe some news on um a basketball player or two whose status is in jeopardy, a Raekwon battle. And then a cook, a cook who seems like he's getting better um, out of the woods. Who knows? We'll see. We'll find out more, but we'll update as we can on the site. Chris, anything you want to add here? Uh, yeah. Those people, the mailbag will be coming out Tuesday. A couple of the questions you won't hear here. You won't see there because you're going to see them in the three minute videos. A couple of them that were really well made for the three minute video hits that Mike and I are doing. So look for those Wednesday and Friday as well. I'll wrap it up today. I'm going to go car shopping here. Eventful weekend for me. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you then. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.